Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 79 of UAB Green and Told, original release date Monday, August 29th, 2022. Through this podcast, we are able to share stories from members of the UAB community. I'd like to encourage you to listen into previous episodes of the podcast at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold on Spotify or the Apple Podcast app. While there, go ahead and leave a written review so more alumni can find us. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and director in the Office of Alumni Affairs. As we slowly wind down the first quarter of the 21st century, you may be in the mindset that things happen fast, but that's not always the case, is it? Just ask today's guest, Dr. Keisha Elder. When she starts her new job on September 1st, Dr. Elder would become the first African-American female to lead a school of optometry in the U.S. As we'll discuss, it's a glass ceiling that needed to be broken for quite some time. It's not really unrealistic to think that this hasn't happened yet, but it's still un- it's still mind-boggling to, to realize it hasn't happened yet. Plus, we'll learn how Dr. Elder set herself up for professional success, a path that led her to UAB three times. So for me, I think it's, it's, it's amazing. But I think what it means for me is that really, if I can do it, that anybody can do it. And she'll share what UAB has meant to her throughout her life. I love UAB. I'm a UAB graduate. UAB has poured so much into me and has allowed me the opportunity to grow so much professionally and personally. When it comes to having 2020 vision, it means that your vision is normal or even average. But that phrase doesn't really apply to Dr. Keisha Elder. Sure, she's pretty normal, but she's far from average. As of this podcast release date, Dr. Elder is on the verge of optometric history, set to become America's first ever African-American female to be a dean of a school of optometry. While her future is clear now, that wasn't always the case. Now, as a kid growing up in Columbia, South Carolina, optometry wasn't in the picture, but science was. When I was younger, I was always into like science and math. I think because of my personality and I don't like to leave a whole lot of things to chance if possible. I really, really like math because there was a lot less subjectivity. When you wrote an English paper and your teacher had to evaluate and grade you, there was always some subjectivity based on how they liked your style, did not like your style. But with math, one plus one is two. It's right, it's wrong. I mean, of course, there's there, there are really no true absolutes, but what I did like about math was that it was a lot more objective and I had a lot more control over the outcome. So I was always more um, into the the science part of things because I liked that I had more control over my, um, my success in that area. You talk about some of the STEM subjects. What kind of support did you receive as a young African-American woman? Because STEM really isn't one of those areas that a lot of females in general go into. When I was growing up, there was really the push um, to get more African-Americans into the STEM fields. Um, So, I mean, I think even without that, I would have my natural inclination was um, the sciences because that's just how my mind works. But I did actually have the opportunity when I was in high school to attend a Clemson career workshop, which was a workshop geared toward minority students at the time. It was probably primarily African-American students. and there was a work, it was a summer program. It was two weeks between, um, let's say two weeks between sophomore and junior year of high school and three weeks between 
junior and senior year of high school. And the first year, you, you kind of just do some overall general, you know, topical areas. And then the second year, when you're there for a second time, you're there for three weeks, you can kind of pick a topic. And my topical area was health, health um, well, sciences and, and healthcare in particular. So that's actually how I was exposed to optometry because we would have different presentations in a bunch of different career fields. And that's how I was really first introduced to optometry, just randomly through that program that I attended at Clemson, Clemson Career Workshop. Was there something that drew you to that topic based off of your, you know, childhood days, the family makeup, or was it just a topic that kind of popped out of nowhere? To be honest, I was, um, when I started Clemson, I was an engineer major. I then changed to um, math education, changed to straight math, and I was going to do math and get certified to teach, and then went back to back to math education because I thought it would just add an, an extra semester unnecessarily to do math and then get certified. So, um, but I was working with the department chair of the math department as an assistant and one the summer before I graduated in December of 90, 1993. And so my last summer at Clemson, I was attending some math um, conference because at this point I had decided that I was going to get my master's um, in actuarial sciences and be an actuary. So I was at this math conference just because I was an assistant and then we were sitting there and they were talking about impartite graphs. And I'm looking around the room and I'm like, you know what, these are not my people. I don't think this is really what I want to do, you know, because I'm an introvert, but I still do like, you know, human connections. I'm like, what else can I do? So then I started thinking about, um, you know, the, the Clemson Career Workshop, some of the different healthcare fields I was exposed to. And then I thought about optometry. And literally, this was the summer of 1993. I thought about optometry. Me and one of my girlfriends, she wrote with me. We made an appointment. I drove um, to Birmingham to visit optometry school. Um, um, Dr. Adam Gordon was over student affairs at the time. He gave me a tour. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So I literally, after that visit, to UAB, which is where I'm actually working right now, decided on optometry, had to take the OAT, the optometry admissions test. I pretty much had one shot. I applied at two optometry schools. Fortunately, I'm pretty good at taking tests, so I did well on my interest test. Had really good grades in undergrad, so I got into both schools I applied to, and then boom, here I am, you know, 20 plus years later. But honestly, if it were not for the Clemson Career Workshop exposing me to optometry, I probably would not have known about it because my mom wore glasses, my dad wore glasses, I didn't wear glasses. We went to the doctor, but that was, there was, I can remember one African-American optometrist in a town where I grew up, Dr. Lonnie Randolph. That's the only one I knew and he knew my parents, but it just really wasn't anything that was at the forefront. And as I said, at that time for the the, the um, high achieving um, African-American or black students, we were um, geared toward um, engineering, we would get toward medicine. I mean, not dentistry, really not optometry, but just engineering and medicine. So optometry wasn't really anything that was ever front and center for me. So when you arrive at UAB in the School of Optometry, what were the demographics like? You mentioned that Dr. Randolph was one of the few African-American optometrists that you ran into. What were the classrooms like? So when I um, entered UAB, there were around 40 students per class. Um, so in my class, entering with me, there were um, two Black students, me and my classmate, Relisha Nix. We ended up um, graduating with um, four Black students in my class. So when we started, there were just the two of us, so two out of around 40. But, you know, that's what I was accustomed to. I grew up in a middle class, you know, 
black neighborhood. I went to a school that was a really good mix, but I was in a black neighborhood. So I rode on the bus with black kids, but I was always in um, the higher level classes. So when I would go to school, we would go into our classes. I was always in classes with predominantly um, white students. So I'll be one of two or maybe three blacks in all of my classes. And I would have to go to lunch with my friends. And, then, and, and I was always trying to live within different worlds which made it a little bit challenging growing up you know trying to fit in in a bunch of very different places that being said because I was so accustomed you know to to being the only one of the only who looked like me in all of my um most of my environments it wasn't that big of a deal because I was accustomed to it you know I went to Clemson Clemson in 89 through 93 was not very um there weren't a whole lot of minorities there so, you know, I was in class, like my sophomore year, I received an award for having the highest GPA of math majors at Clemson, not of minority math majors, but of math majors at Clemson. So I was always high achieving academically and was still able to be successful, although in many times I was one of the only or the only one who had my particular demographics. So UAB was just what I was accustomed to. Here you are 25 years after you received your OD from the School of Optometry at UAB. What have you seen for the changes in technology over that quarter century? You know, when I was in school, we wrote on little sheets of paper. You know, our instructors still wrote on, it wasn't even whiteboards at the time, you know, just the regular chalkboards. We use overhead projectors. When I was at UAB, I actually also got my Master's of Science in Vision Science. So when I did my thesis presentation, I had the little um, the little slides. I had to get the little three and a half little, the little projector that you would put in the little a carousel thing. So I uh -huh. have those little slides, you know, so that's where we were. We had some that we used to overhead projector. A couple of really um, forward thinking um, professors were doing some early PowerPoints. But just looking at how technology impacts patient care and how it impacts you know, teaching now is just phenomenal. I would have never, ever thought. I didn't start using email till I was in the military, which means after I was at Clemson, after I graduated from optometry school. I mean, can you imagine someone being 20-something years old and saying they never use email? I mean, it's just crazy to, to think how things have changed so much in, in just decades. Now, back in that day, no, I wouldn't be surprised that people didn't touch email until mid-20s, upper 20s. Right. But today, definitely. So, Talk a little bit about your experience in the military. Here you are in OD, were you working with optometry patients? What was the hands-on experience like? Yes, yeah, so my first, um, so I was in the Navy for five years. So when I graduated from um, UAB, I had my first set of orders. So I worked for three years at the, the clinic at the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. So NMCL Annapolis. So I primar primarily saw active duty patients. There were two optometrists um, in optometry department. So it was me as a junior officer and then my um, department chair, um, Commander Wicks. And we had, I want to say three opt optometric technici technicians in our department. We saw a lot of midshipmen, a lot of active active duty, primarily Navy and Marine Corps, saw some retirees and then a very few um, family members, you know, at times, but it was a very um, great introduction to optometry. I was able to get a lot of good patient care in, but I think also maybe even more important than my introduction to optometry in the military was my introduction into how I interact with and how I deal with people. Because anyone who has been in the military who's done some time active duty 
understands that the military is not a job. It's, it's a way of life. And so when you are an officer, especially in the military or a higher level, higher level enlisted person who has to take care of people you don't just interact with them as it relates to their job responsibilities you interact with them as it relates to their life so you have to look at your people as whole people and not just as someone who does a particular job for you so really makes you a lot more intentional about how you interact with people and just just how you view someone as a whole person and not just as someone to to fill a spot to do a job so I think it really set me up for success in how I interact with people, you know, throughout throughout my professional career. What did you do after Annapolis? So I was at Annapolis for three years, and then I was at the um, Arlington Annette slash Pentagon for two years, and then I finished out my time there because my husband was finishing up his um, PhD at UMBC, so I had finished my payback time. So they allowed me to write a second set of orders. It was three-year orders, but it was written so that I only had to do one year, and I could get out after one year, but I ended up serving two years out of that um, three-year set of my second set of orders. And then you got back to lay life, just back to a normal life outside the military. Is that when you started teaching again? So, so once we finished, my um, husband had a position at the University of South Carolina School of Public Health. So we moved back to Columbia, which is where I'm from. And I um, worked for a year in a commercial setting in Pearl Vision. Um, Decided that was not the mode of practice that I really wanted to to be in long term. So fortunately, um, I was able to secure a position at the University of South Carolina Department of Ophthalmology. And that's when I, I actually saw patients. I um, interacted with and supervised our um, ophthalmic technicians um, at the ophthalmology department. I did um, training with them. And then I worked with the residents, the um, ophthalmology residents, and would do some um training um, with, with those students and then would do a little bit of research with our department chair, um, Dr. Rich Davis. And that is really how I um, got my foot back into um, academia. And I think with me having a training in, in education, because I graduated from Clemson in December, I didn't start optometry school until that following August. So I actually taught high school at AC Floor High School, taught math from January to, I guess, May or June of of um, 1994 prior to starting optometry school. I did that for two reasons. One, I needed a job, you know, to to work. But I also wanted to make sure that going to optometry school was the right thing for me because it was a really quick pivot. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't go and teach high school math and find out that I really, really love teaching high school math and doing going up to school was not the right thing for me. And it, it really did um, affirm that I think I was making the right decision for me. But I came full circle back to teaching because even though I didn't necessarily want to teach math in high school math, I did want to teach. So once I got back in the ophthalmology department, got back into the academic setting, I started kind of missing optometry and I'm like, I need to get back to my people, which is what took me to UAB the first time. So how many years did you work at the University of South Carolina before moving to Birmingham again? So three years, I was at um, Ophthalmology Department for three years, and then I came to Birmingham for the first time, well, came back um, for the first time to be um, faculty here in 2007. So I was here from 2007 to 2011. I was um, on faculty here at UAB. And then you made another move. 
Yes, my husband um, has his PhD in health policy and he got a position um, at the St. Louis University um, School of Public Health, Public Health. So we um, moved to St. Louis in 2011. Fortunately, um, I was able to secure a position at the UMSL College of Optometry. So I was on faculty at UMSL from 2011 until 2016. So that was, I mean, I knew some of the faculty members because of, of my interest in cornea contact lenses. So I knew it was a great um, faculty and, and I knew some of the people, but I really honestly had no idea because I, I love UAB. I I'm a UAB graduate. UAB has poured so much into me and has allowed me the opportunity to grow so much professionally and personally that when I left to go to UMSO in 2011, I was glad to have the opportunity there because I was able to stay with my optometry people, but I was devastated because I really, really loved UAB. I had no idea how much I would... Um, uh, love and 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 get close with and connect with the people at home so it was just such a pleasant surprise to go somewhere else and then really fall in love with the faculty the staff the students and just the culture you know in the college of optometry at Omsel. And in 2016 you made your third trip to birmingham um and was that because you just wanted to lay the foundation to build the career even more nope that's once again following my husband <laughs> men was, right um, Yes, yes, man, exactly. He was um, the founding dean at the um, School of Public Health at Samford. So he had opportunity to um, come back to um, this area. So of course, you know, with, we have two children. So I decided to go ahead and come on with them. So I was able to get a position back at UAB um, in 2016. And, and, you know, and when I left UAB, I never thought I would come back, you know, and when I'm here now, I never thought I would leave again. But, but that's to say, you never know where your career is going to take you. And you also always need to try to treat people well, because you never know when you're going back to where you left, you know? And, and what if I hadn't been a good colleague? I hadn't been a good person. I hadn't done a good job. UAB may not have been receptive to, to welcoming me back, which fortunately they were and they did, but you just never know where life is going to take you. So you just really do have to make sure that you're treating people well. We've talked about Columbia, we've talked about St. Louis, we've talked about Birmingham, and here you are set to go back to the University of Missouri at St. Louis. Did you ever think that you'd be moving into the role of a dean of a school of optometry? I mean, yes and no. Like, did, did I think in some place in the back of my mind that maybe at some point that was something I could do? Yes, kind of, but it was never really... Um, at the forefront of my mind. I mean, I'd had conversations with um, Dean Larry Davis, the current Dean and um, so, you know, just kind of in passing a little bit when I was there before about that this may be something for me to kind of think about at some point. Which, you know, and if I had stayed at um, UMSL then, it probably would have been something that was more in the forefront of my mind. But then with me coming um, back here to UAB and and with the infrastructure of the University of Alabama at Birmingham and with the great people that we have at UAB, you know, I didn't see a pathway for me really to be a dean, you know, so I so I was really I'm happy with, I love what I do here at UAB as a director of externships and a director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I had decided that I was just going to make sure that I was able to maximize what my current role and be as impactful and help as many people as I can in this role. 
that and, and also when we when we moved back to Birmingham in 2016, I promised my children, I'm like, I you, we will not move you guys again before you graduate high school. But honestly, when I came back to UAB, this was going to be where I retired from. I mean, I'm you know, I'm I'm tired of moving. I'm still tired of moving, <laughs> you know. But I was like, this is it for me. However, that being said, when um, I learned that Dean Davis was going to be um, stepping down the zine and um, so, and then looking at the timing, I'm like, I have, I must try. Because if I didn't at least try, then I know that I would have regretted not at least giving myself the opportunity to try to achieve this goal. Here you are on the verge of becoming the first African-American woman to lead a school of optometry in the United States. Let that sink in. What does that mean for you? So for me, I think it's, it's, it's amazing. But I think what it means for me is that really, if I can do it, that anybody can do it. Because anyone who knows me, I am, you know, not like um, slow or anything intellectually, but I'm definitely not like the genius, genius in the room. You know, I'm not the one who's like always coming up with the best and brightest ideas. You know, even I do, I do have some here and there, you know, um, but it's like, I just work hard and I try. And I really try to um, make things better, you know, than what they currently are. And I really want people to be successful. And I think I really, 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 try to help people to reach their goals and to make them successful and I've always been a person who has surrounded myself with people who I think are I would say smarter than me and who I can grow from you know you know so I, I don't ever really want to be like the the best and brightest in the room because you, you can't grow from that you know you have to be around people who can challenge you so I think this being a, an a a milestone that I, that I have met means that anybody can do it if, if they treat people right and and do do what they're supposed to do you know and I try to honestly try not to think about it so much because I don't want to scare myself I don't want to psych myself out you know I just want to make sure that I do a great job but I do like the fact that me being a a African-American black female with you know the name Keisha, so there's not going to be a whole lot of people who are not going to necessarily think that I'm black um, with locks in her hair, you know. So truly, you know, a true woman who's a woman of color who embraces herself in 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 her entirety, I think is great because that shows all people, all colors that they can meet their goals. Because I'm just a regular person who has met this milestone. And so that means anybody can do it if, if you try and you work hard. As somebody growing up in the south, the southeast of the, the United States, did you ever think you'd break any glass ceiling? I, you know what? I really didn't, you know, because we were just always taught, you know, you know, my parents were the type of parents who taught us, you know, being being black, you got to work harder. You can't just do what the person beside you doing. You have to work harder and do better and be better to get the same opportunities. So I've, I've always had that strong work ethic from that and I understand that I and I think part of why I like math too is I don't want to be at anyone's mercy I don't want my success or failure to be based on whether or not somebody decided to give me that shot or to give me that chance even of course many people have helped me along the way that's not what I'm saying but I but I've always really tried to not put myself at people's mercy per se so I've always really worked hard but no I never because this is 2022 I would have assumed that someone would have 
met this milestone before me. So no, I never really thought for real it would be me because there are other people who um, are ahead of me who who I thought it would have been them before me. You know what I mean? So no, I never really thought that I would. Glad you touched on that. I was going to ask you about that too. Just 2022, surprised that it took that long for an African-American woman to be instilled in a position like that. That's It's got to be humbling as an educator to, to fill that role at this point. It really is. You know, when you look at um, optometry, as far as there's a small percentage of African-Americans who are optometrists and then a really small percentage of African-Americans who are, who are optometrists who are in academia. So, I mean, there are schools that don't really have black faculty, you know, so so when you look at the true numbers, I mean, it doesn't it's not really unrealistic to think that this hasn't happened yet, but it's still un. It's still um, mind-boggling to to realize it hasn't happened yet. You know, at UAB, we have a lot of Black faculty. We have um, Dr. Gerald Simon, Dr. Janine Sims, there's Dr. Keisha Brown, there's Dr. Keisha Elder, as far as primarily full-time faculty. And then we have other faculty like Dr. Vaughn and Dr. Cargis, who are like part of our um, adjunct and part-time faculty. So we have a lot at UAB. You know, but that's not how it is at most schools. You know, also has, you know, several, you know, black faculty. Southern College of Country has several black faculty. You know, Nova has some black faculty, but all schools, you know, do not even have black faculty, you know, members. So, you know, you have to have the um the pool of people to develop and grow to even have the opportunity to 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 become a dean. In your three trips, in your three stays at UAB, how did those set you up? for success and obtaining the position of Dean at the University of Missouri, St. Louis? So my first stop here, I was a student. So I had to learn, um, you know, had to have a lot of grit because optometry school is hard, had to be able to be motivated enough to, to continue to move forward and to meet the challenges. So it gave me a great educational foundation and the ability to be a, a, a very good optometrist. Coming here to first first time as faculty, I was um, a faculty who ended up being on the tenure track um, and I left before I actually um, was promoted and well, I was promoted to associate professor, but left before I um, actually put in my um, request for tenure. But I did a lot more, um, I did teaching and clinic, but I also did a lot more um, research efforts. So I think that show, I understand and it gave me the opportunity to learn how to make those relationships that are necessary, especially in today's environment, to have this type of collaborative research that we have. So I understand what it takes to form those relationships. And then coming back to UAB, when I came back, we had a, a different dean. A lot of the faculty had turned over. I'm currently not on the tenure track, so I, I don't do as much research. I do more teaching and, and um, patient care and administrative work, but I still understand how everything works. So it is the same UAB, but then a very different UAB. So it has helped me develop more of my um, administrative um skills and, and, and my administrative team, but it's also shown me that I can go into the same environment although it's very different and I'm still able to connect with people and to make the connections that are necessary to um, set up others and myself for success. So I just think that being here at three different times at three different points in my career have just fine-tuned and developed me into being the person that I am today. That's Dr. Keisha Elder, a three-time alumna. 
Dr. Elder owns a Doctor of Optometry and Master of Science from the School of Optometry, as well as a Master of Science from the School of Education. On September 1st, she'll start a new phase of her career as Dean of the College of Optometry at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. As someone who has a deep passion for UAB and keeps returning here, Dr. Elder definitely has an idea of what it means to be a Blazer. I think to me, being a Blazer means that I understand that you can be in places that maybe everybody doesn't really understand or get because everybody doesn't really know the value of UAB. But even if everybody else doesn't know the value of where you are, you have to be able to see that value for yourself. You need to make the most of the environment that you're in. UAB is a a wonderful jewel that if everybody in the world knew how great things were here at UAB, people would be like knocking down the doors to get here. So I think you have to make sure that you you make the most of wherever you are and that you look and see what opportunities are provided for you and take advantage of them. That's what being a blazer is. Be sure to listen into previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. You can find all of them at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Know someone we should have on the podcast? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search UAB Alumni. Thanks for listening. And until next time, Go Blazers!